1: Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You've found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and Kara Waddell has the weekend off, spend some time with her family on a beautiful, hopefully a beautiful, hollow weekend, Halloween weekend. You know, it's beginning to smell like Halloween out there, um, you know, with the beautiful fall color right now, hopefully. Uh, The rains won't be too persistent over the weekend. Actually, we're taping the show on Friday morning. And a lot of economic data came out and not a whole lot of it positive. And we'll talk about inflation. And we got big inflation data this week. We got the PPI, the producer price index, earlier in the week. And then yesterday we got the CPI for September. And not great news there. But it, it illustrates, again, what we've been seeing is it may be too early to say that inflation has peaked. A lot of people think, well, maybe it has peaked. But again, I think it's going to be a jagged peak. And that's what I've been talking about in this show for the last couple of months. In other words, I don't think some some months data is going to show some of the indicators are showing are a trend of down inflation, others trending up. Of course, you, you have the difference between headline data and core data with the core data excluding food and energy. And a lot of people say, well, that's not fair. Why would you look at that? Because we have to pay gas at the pump and we have to buy groceries. but." You can't have it both ways, and and that's some there's some blowback to the White House this week because the White House is trying to spin some things that they say things aren't as bad as the shock line risk. So we'll talk about some of those things. So this is Financial Food for Thought brought to you by the estate planning team. The estate, the estate planning team has been uh, helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. We're an Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. Um, we are not investment advisors. We're not here to talk about what stocks or bonds or mutual funds or gold to buy. That's not what we do. Um, we have a lot of our clients already have somebody, a professional investment advisor, in place, or they perhaps are doing it themselves. Um, What we do is really build financial models and, and talk about the traditional financial planning tools that are in the financial planning toolbox, as well as how to protect your financial risk, your financial goals and objectives, how to protect your family in for the future. You know, the idea of saying, do you have a way of getting a long range prediction or long range model of where you're going? before you're making knee-jerk reactions and, and elections based on the shock line risks. And that that seems to be the topic of right now that we're dealing with, with all the bad news out there. And, and it, it is risk. There's a lot of risk out there. So if you'd like more information about our firm, you can give us a call. Our home phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 440 440- 2392090, or you can visit our website. Our website is just financialfoodforthought.com, just one string, lowercase, financialfoodforthought.com. On there, you can find financial articles, there's calculators. You can also link to these radio show podcasts. All right. And they're, the, the, the radio station keeps a good bank of them, and you can listen to them at your leisure on the internet. And, uh, and if you can't listen live or when this show is airing over the weekend on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., and you can go back and listen to previous shows. You can also sign up for a free, no-obligation consultation. That can be done in person or if you're still, you know, a lot of people are still con- concerned about the Rona risk and now we're going to flu season, we can certainly do that by telephone, um, whichever your preference is and if you want you can sign right up on for a consultation on our website financialfoodforthought.com or you can call us at 440-239-2090 just leave a message and someone will get back to you on Monday so we talk about October being the scariest month of the year and it's this October is certainly living up to that and the the issue becomes is, is there enough of a financial risk out there that if this worst case scenario materializes and what is the worst case scenario at this point? Well, I think it, it's on I think it's now the stagflation worry, you know, that idea that not only a recession, but also persistent high inflation, a higher unemployment, as well as a slowdown or negative growth. And that's the, 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 we had that in the 70s, which turned out to be a major, major problem, leading to Paul Volcker's really slamming, you know, down on inflation and, and, and causing back to back recessions before he could, you know, correct the monetary policy. So that, now, if that's what you believe is going to happen, then the question becomes, well, should you be modifying or changing your current financial plan that maybe hasn't built in yet that worst-case scenario? Um, and, and, and quite frankly, maybe your base case scenario right now is recession. And, and your plan R, which we usually say, you know, a worst-case scenario, you know, recovery or recession, your, your new worst-case scenario is a stagflation scenario. Um, you know, we could talk about that if you come in for a consultation, or, you know, we talk to our clients about that all the time. So, how did the CPI come out? Um, so, this is where, again, it, it, we're looking to say not only what happened in September, but what has the trend been? Are we peaking? And if you look at headline, so for September, year over year, headline came in at 8.2%. That is slightly better than the previous 8.3%, which was slightly better than the previous 8.5%, which was better than the June, which a lot of people said was the peak at 9.1%. Okay, so if you look at headline year over year, you could say, well, maybe we peaked. But then when you look at month to month, that's where you get the jagged peak. So September, month to month, it came in at 0.4%, which was a slightly worse than the previous 0.1%, which was slightly worse than the previous 0%, (laughs) which was better than June's 1.3%. So you can see that's kind of a jagged peak but a, a lot of the, the how they explain that away is what's been happening to gas at the pump. And you know it, I don't have to tell you, you've seen that go up, down, up, down, right? And that's one of the reasons why a lot of economists and certainly the Federal Reserve says we don't we don't look at headline, we concentrate more on core. And the Federal Reserve also says that their tools really work on core, not so much food and energy which are global you know risks involved in that and and I think president biden is certain learn is certainly learning about that with opec plus's decision this week so so let's look at core okay so this is where the fed got bad news meaning that if they don't see a consistent decline in inflation, they're not inclined to stop raising interest rates. And I think the data is saying they will do another 75 point basis point hike in November and probably a 50 basis point hike in December. That may not be good for your stock market. Okay. Um, now, so how did CORE come in? Year over year, came in at 6.6%. Worse than previous, 6.3%, which was worse than previous, 5.9%. That was the level in that June. Where, so where we thought June might have been the peak in CORE, it didn't turn out to be the peak. All right, that is not good news. Um, now, if we look at month over month, it came in at 0.6%, matching previous 0.6%, which was worse than the previous month before that, 0.3%. But that was better than that June high of 0.7%. So again, the jagged peak. Um, and the producer price index, again, similarly, um, all right, so this is, you know, this is the measure of the prices received the final demand products, you know, how much the manufacturers get for their products. And that is also saying, well, if if they have to pay more, aren't eventually the consumer going to pay more, that's the inflation that they're trying to this is what this is trying to capture. So again, headline actual uh, year over year came in at 8.5% which was slightly better than 8 point, the previous 8.7% but missed expectations of 8.4% but again in June that number was 11.3%. So from June it's gone from 11.3 to 9.8 to 8.7 to 8.5. Again a trend saying maybe did we peak in June. Um so you know it it's hard to to, to say but this is what we try to look at and say, you know, is, is, there, is there enough data that we can say, yes, we, we can make a better determination if inflation has peaked or if it has not peaked? And, and certainly then you can see, well, wow, what about the volatility? And, and again, in recessions, um, it's, it's very often you're going to see a lot of volatility, just look back to and most recently, you know, 2008, or you could even look back to, you know, the Rona recession in 2020. And how, and how deep do, or how much of a peak to trough do we normally see in, let's use the benchmark S and P 500. How far Mark do stocks come down in recessions? Well, if you look over about the past 11 recessions, the S&P 500 decline, peak to trough, was range on from about 14% decline to 57% decline. That, that's what hurts, the 57% decline. But if you look at an average decline over the last 11 recessions, it would come out to be about 27.5%. Well, we may be there, by the time you listen to this uh, program, we're taping it on Friday morning, we may already be there for the s and P 500 year-to-date. Um, it it you know, could be 24%, 25% already. Not far off that averaged you, you know, decline over the last 11 recessions. And certainly, the volatility has picked up. Now, how one of the ways that Mark Donnelly, I... Look at volatilities. I keep track on the amount of trading days where the S and P 500, from you know open to close, moved more than two percentage points, either up or down. Not intraday, you know, between opening and close. So, how many have we had through October 13th, yesterday? Because I don't have today's, you know, obviously. Um, All right, we had 37 days where the S&P 500 moved up or down more than 2%. That's pretty roller coaster. Uh, and what even indicates more of the roller coaster of those 37, 18 of those days were up and 19 of those were down. That's what I mean by the roller coaster. Up and down, up and down. Now, we also how about parabolic moves? That's when there's a 4% open to close movement in the S&P 500. We've had two of those year to date, and both of those were down. All right. Um, just to compare, if we look back at 2008, you know, everybody remembers the Great Recession. What was happening that year? Well, in that year, we had 74 days where the S and P 500 was had a two percent movement, 29 of which were parabolic. And, and with an end of the year, you know, twenty or 38.5% drop in the S&P 500 year to date right now, the S&P 500 is down about 23%. Now, but some people say, well, Mark, I, I thought the market bounced back this week because, you know, we, we saw some up days, you know, a couple of those 2% ups happened in October and in the same week of October. And so what's going on there? Well is you know that's a good question. Does that mean that we were at the bottom and everything was going to be fine after that or was that just a, what we call a bear market rally? Uh, was it more of just a uh, profit takers, t- market timers? Was it high frequency trading who you know, you know the the robots that just say if they can make a half a cent Uh, uh, per share trade in the next blink of an eye? They don't care if it's up or down. They're going to do it based on trend analysis that only a computer can work that fast. That's that high-frequency trading. Is that what's going on? I don't know. Or was it a dead cat bounce? Now, that's a funny term if you had not heard that before. And what is a dead cat bounce? Well, a dead cat bounce is when you're in the middle of a bear market and all of a sudden the market jumps really high, right back up and everybody gets excited. Oh, it's over. And that, that's the idea of you know you want to be in the market because you never know those days that's going to happen. and and, and Or you, you see that the market's up and say, okay, I, I should have got in yesterday, but I'm going to get in today. And then you get into, and then the next day it goes right back down again it, it, with an equivalent decrease to match the jump increase. And that's affectionately known as a dead cat bounce in on Wall Street. Now, is that what we had? Well, typically what – I don't know if there's a t- technical definition of a dead cat bounce, but to me it's more the idea that you had consecutive days where you have big swings up and swings down. In other words, and the complete roller coaster, you know, all the way up, all the way down, all the way back up, or the other way, all the way down, all the way up, all the way back down. That's really more how a roller coaster works. You start low, go all the way up, and you wind back up down. But the the, the key is that it's, it's significant increases and decreases, and it's also very quick, very consecutive. It's not a week apart. It's days. It's consecutive days. So what happened here in... October. So okay. Well, let's see. So on, and and actually, it keeps. Um, yeah. So let's see. So if you go back to the end of September and and so nine twenty nine, the S and P was down two point eleven percent. Then on ten three, the S and P was up two point five nine percent. Then the next day, ten four, October fourth. S and P was up again 3.06 percent. Okay, so that was a five 5.6 percent increase in those two days. People are saying, okay, now and and time to jump back in. Well, then on the on October seventh, S and P was right back down 2.8 percent. So is that a dead cap bounce? I'm not going to put that into my category of a dead cap bounce. I think that might have been more of a bear market rally or just trading on headline news um, and and things like that. Now, because one, it it wasn't exactly consecutive days and two, okay, 2% movements. uh, All right. Well, like you say, we have, like I showed you, we have a lot of 2% movements in any one day. None of those were parabolic, by the way. Um, Now, but as as a post example let me give you what i do think was an example of a dead cat bounce that happened in 2008 okay so on november 12th of 2008 the s&p was down 5.19% ouch okay the next day and, and let me go back to even the 11th. I'll go back to November 11th, because that was a double-digit day, or a 2% day. So on, on November 11th, 2008, the S&P was down 2.2. On 11-12-08, it was down another 5.19. Uh, okay, Then on 11-13, these are consecutive days, on 11-13, it jumped 6.92%, almost a 7% increase on, on the 13th. Then and then on the next day, the fourteenth, it was down four point one seven percent. That was consecutive. You know, seven percent decline, seven percent recovery, a four percent decline, and then it went further south after that. That may be more historically a dead cat bounce. Um. So now, so the fear gauge, <laughs> fear gauge, fair gauge is also striking right now and and you know a lot of times we look at the vix right then that's that's you know the volatility index and it, it's kind of a reaction um you know of how wall street you know investors are feeling or what you know how concerned they are with the you know with the with the, with the volatility that's going on and 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 the trends that they're seeing and things like that So they're saying this week that the VIX is on the cusp of achieving a golden cross. Well, that's a kind of a unique Wall Street term, right? A term used by market technicians to denote when the 50-day moving average of a given asset, you know, exchange rate or index, climbs above the 200-day moving average. In the past, these golden crosses have preceded sharp downturns in stocks. Okay, so so that's one of the things that those trend analysis look like, and when they and they get worried when when you see a, a golden cross. Now, um, Golden Sachs, you know, they, they put out some information this week, and again, they they just don't they they're they're not too confident that the Federal Reserve is going to navigate a soft landing, and they're saying, well, you know, what are we going to do about that? Or what should you do about that? And it's interesting. They kind of said that um, you know if if they do successfully navigate a soft landing, meaning that they can stamp down inflation without causing a major U.S. recession. I mean, slow slower growth, but maybe not a, a recession. Certainly not stagflation. You know, which is what the main concern is at this point. Then they say growth in stocks could be okay for 2023. But let's say they're saying if you're in the camp that thinks a a hard landing is coming and we and we're bound for a U.S. recession, they believe that the S and P could fall to about 3,150 next year. Okay, it's currently I think when I'm taping the show about 3,670 or whatever. so that would be an additional 14% decline, okay, um, if that recession materializes. So if, so, that's the idea that if that's the camp you're in, then what you may, how you may want to be adjusting your financial planning model is saying if you were assuming that normally you would get a 5% rate of return on your investments, and now you're thinking, but if we have a U.S. recession, even though you may be down 20% already year to date, you, you know it, 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 we may not be at the bottom. And so your plan are maybe saying, I'm only not even marking in where I'm at today that reflects the, the year to date loss. I'm also going one step further and saying next year, I'm not assuming a 5% game. I'm assuming another double digit loss. And, and that's the idea of saying, okay, how you would model in more of a worst case scenario. And what you're looking for, if you do that, is the peace of mind saying, under that scenario, are you still going to be okay? Because we always say on this show, in a weird way, the whatever happens economically in the next 12 months doesn't mean you're running out of money in the next 12 months, it just means, in some way, it affects how long your money is going to last. So if you're if you are already running a base case scenario and your money was lasting to age 90, 95, do I hear hundred? And now you build a plan R, and all of a sudden, you you you, you part of that may be also building a higher rate of inflation than what you were using in your base case. And the combination of an economic downturn and a higher rate of inflation, maybe not forever, but maybe for the next few years, is that enough that it shortens the longevity of your plan to a point where you do have to make an adjustment? And that adjustment could be depending on where you are at in your lifetime. Are you, are you still working? Were you planning on retiring? You may have to work a year longer. Uh, you're already retired. You might have to cut out some discretionary spending. Or even under that worst case scenario, you're fine. And you don't need to make adjustments. All right? That's what good financial planning is about. And that's what we try to help our clients understand. All right, so you're listening to Mark Donnelly, and this is the Estate Planning Team's Financial Food for Thought. So if you'd like to get learn more about our process and how we build financial models, which we've been doing it for 35 years and helping Cleveland families work through these these risks and these economic downturns, you can give us a call at our office. Our home phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 4402392090. Or you can visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. And you can sign up for consultation. You can listen to previous podcast radio shows. And if you and not all clients who come to us are looking to build a 30-year financial model. Sometimes they're coming to us because they have a particular issue they need to work on right now. And a lot of times that could be if they weren't planning on retiring and, and it was a forced retirement thrown upon them, or perhaps an opportunity for a early retirement that their company is, is offering, or it could be they're reaching a milestone age, whether that be age 65 in Medicare, or it could be 72, now the new required minimum distribution date, or it could be at this time of year, we talked a lot about year and planning. And this is what we're very busy right now with our clients, helping them look for opportunities in a rough economic time that can hopefully help them save a little bit of money on taxes or perhaps give them a little bit more cash flow without, you know, know, hurting them financially or, you know, along those lines. And that's there's still time for that. But we're running out of time for that. Because if you are going to do some year-end planning, the calendar is now working against you because you're running out of business days to get things done. So this is why this is one of the peak times for us, is that we you know this October, November time frame. And and of course, you, you might want to get all this stuff done before you get into the, you know, holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, that type of thing. So, if you'd like to do that, again, you can call us at 440 239 2090, and we can try to find you a slot that we have available still for a year in planning. And I want to talk, I'm going to do a case review about year end planning, um, and I, hopefully I'll get through it all today. If not, I'll continue it in the next week. But before that, just uh, there is, is some. Good news, I guess, silver lining to the inflation is that we did get the Social Security COLA adjustment announced this week. And no surprises, it came, well, it came in at 8.7%, which is what the expected number was going to be. And that's coming off this year's increase of 5.9%. So that back-to-back years, that's a pretty nice jump in Social Security benefits. The White House tried to take a a victory lap for that. But again, they were somewhat, you know, called on the carpet because, well, the only reason why your Social Security cola adjustment is so high is because inflation is so high. Don't you get it? <laughs> yeah, yes, there is some truth to that. But at least you can now, if you are running a model, you can now update your model because we have known data. Um, the uh, that and, and along with what we already discussed on this show how Medicare is getting a little bit of rebate your Medicare premiums. It's going down three point. Uh, about 3%. Um, So if you're paying $170.10 a month for Medicare B this year, that number, that cost will be $164.90 next year. Now, if you're running a mile, so this is how we do that on an estate planning team is, okay, well, I'm not going to assume just because the Social Security COLA adjustment for next year is 8.7%, I'm not going to go crazy and build that into my next, assume it's going up that much every year for the next 25 years okay um we look at more of a you know maybe we want to annualize that a little bit so i kind of keep track of the cola adjustments um i'm looking here i might this schedule right now looking about the last 18 years um and and how has it been averaging and you could take it from there so a three-year running average is about 5.3%, okay? A five-year running annualized average is about 4.06%, okay? How about a 10-year? And a lot of times I like to use 10-year, okay? A 10-year annualized Social Security COLA is 2.58%, okay? Um, If you want to look at 15-year, 2.46%. And right now, I'm looking. You know, this is my. I'm cutting this off at 18 years, 18 year, two point five nine. So you see how it's flattening out. So 10 year, 15 year, 18 year, not a big swing, okay? You know, and you're right around that two point five percent. Now, we we always try to be, you know, conservative with our when we build plans. You know, two parameters to keep in mind when you're building a model: conservative and realistic. So yeah, it's conservative to use a lower number, but it's also realistic to use a number that's maybe a 10 to 15-year annualized. I mean, I don't know how unrealistic that is. Um, It may be unrealistic to assume 8.7, right, going for it. So, you know, where we are currently for this year, we are using about 1.8%. We may up that, you know, to our clients. So we, we get, we offer it to our clients. It's, they make the final decisions. We, may, we always say it's your plan, not mine. Um, and the revision may be around two and a half percent. All right. So that's just something that we watch and say, and, and that's a good example of you know the financial, the discipline of financial planning isn't that you do a financial plan model once and put it in the sock drawer for 30 years. The idea is that you have a running way to measure your progress and when reality changes one of the assumptions you that you made, you know how to go back in and make the adjustment in your long range model and then rerun it. That's how, you know, that's the active part of it. We are very active planners at the estate planning team. And a lot of times we always talk about coordination of advisors. And so my case review, so this, this was a client that came to us earlier this year, first time client or new client, I should say. And what, what had happened was they got a very nasty surprise when they filed their 2021 tax return. And the nasty surprise was that they not only owed money on April 15th, but all of a sudden they had a huge quarterly estimate that their CPA wanted them to pay. Um, And that combination, um, you know, was devastating. So they owed, uh, you know, between federal and Ohio, they owed about $9,000, on federal and about a thousand dollars in Ohio, plus their first quarter estimate was an eleven thousand for federal, twenty five hundred for Ohio. So that was a twenty three thousand five hundred dollar tax bill on April fifteenth that they weren't expecting. Ouch! All right. Um, now, so when the reason why they came in to see us was because they they heard our show on estimated taxes and talking about using safe harbors. And I always try to do that show. If you want to go back and listen to our podcast, you can get our podcast at financialfoodforthought.com and hit the podcast button. I always try to do an estimated tax show on the Saturday before the upcoming quarterly estimate. You know, Of course, the quarterly estimates are April 15th, June 15th, September 15th and January 15th. So looking back on the calendar, usually the Saturday before that I do a you know I may I don't know if I hit all four a year but I, used to get, I probably three if not four and and they had listened to the September show and it got them thinking because they they had already you know they were saying well I you know why am I you know do I have to pay? This huge quarterly estimate, because what I said on that show, the light bulb went off and said, I think Mark's talking about us, Uh, meaning that what happened last year wasn't what was going to happen this year. And then they realized why they were paying high estimates was because of last year or what we call the previous year safe harbor, as opposed to jumping over to a current year safe harbor. Now so they came in for a consultation and we said, Yeah, bring your tax return. And they did, and we started looking at it. And sure enough, we you know, looking at what happened, you know, I noticed that they did a big Roth conversion in the previous year. And because, you know, they weren't required, they were a year you know, in other words, in twenty twenty one They were 71. They weren't at required minimum. They were turning 72 this year in 2022. And they said, yeah. They said, well, we thought that was the last year we could do Roth conversions because they knew this year they were turning 72 and had required minimum distributions. And, and so I knew that was one part of the discussion I had to have with them that, no, just because you have required minimum distribution doesn't mean you can't do Roth conversions. It just means that you can't convert your required minimum distribution to Roth. We'll talk more about that. Um, also, I saw that they had relatively large capital gains. And again, not an unusual phenomenon for our, our clients or U.S. taxpayers last year there were huge capital gains last year much higher than normal and that's what happened to this couple they you know they when it, when i asked them about that and they said yeah they they were you, they they had a professional investment advisory they had one one advisor was was managing their iras and another different one was managing their non-qualified investments um and they and and, and they had, they were using a CPA and, and they, they what we so I was asking him said so, well you know what what they did was they they didn't they weren't keeping track of their capital gains during their realized capital gains during the year and they, again they were they were in twenty twenty one. They were just making again estimated payments based on what their CPA told them to do, and it wasn't a that they weren't that high. And then they also decided that they, you know, they got this idea that they had to do the Roth conversion now. And I asked them, well, what? Why are you doing? Why did you want to do the Roth conversion? And it was a typical reasons, you know, the, all you know, the, the idea that. Um, You know, they wanted to get into the tax-free growth and and they knew they would reduce future required minimum distributions and they know it would reduce the IRD, you know, the tax hit to the kids if they die still owning the Roth IRA. So for all the the reasons, they said, yeah, we, we wanted to do a Roth conversion. But what they didn't compensate for was the Roth conversion, which was additional tax liability on top of the unusually high capital gains. And what that so so for when they that's why they and, and again, so their their 2021 tax liability came in a lot larger than 2020, but they weren't penalized for being underpaid because they're you know, I realized and I had to show them is because their their CPA always put them on a previous year safe harbor. So in 2021, they paid the 2020 previous year safe harbor, so they were covered. But even though they owed on April 15th, there was no penalty, but they still had to pay that bill. But now following that same logic, the CPA or really the CPA's robot, the software, and by, and by the way, uh, I would say 95% if, you know, of, the, of the tax software, whether you're using a professional or doing it at yourself with one of the home programs, defaults to the previous year Safe Harbor because the robot doesn't know any better. It knows that. It knows how to show you that. So it, it whatever your previous year's tax is and because they you know it took them over that threshold of $150,000, they had to bump it up to 110% of you know for federal purposes. Um so that's what so when the, so this year, so not only you know that that's why they had to put more on the estimated payments this year, right? Um what else did I notice about I also Saw that because their adjusted gross income and they also had some tax free interest, you know, I, I had to break the bad news to them and that their Medicare premiums are going to be going up because their 2021 modified adjusted gross income took them to the fourth level tier of the IRMA thresholds okay and, and and you know i talked about that on a on a recent show if you if, you're, if you don't know what those thresholds are come in and see us and that was going to substantially now of course their 2021 tax return dictates what their 2023 medicare premiums are going to be now we have the new medicare premiums for 2023 so what's what where they normally had they not had that combination of the Roth conversion and the higher capital gains, they would have been at the second level tier Medicare thresholds. Um, so for Medicare B, their next year their premium would have been two hundred thirty dollars and eighty cents a month because um, they you know they were above the first level tier, and their Medicare D bump up would be about twelve thousand twenty. That's each, so that's about a two hundred forty three dollars a month each uh, times twelve. So their Medicare B&D premiums for next year would have been about 5832 had they not done or had not had that combination of the Roth conversion and the higher capital gains because they did have those. Okay, now they're in the fourth, there will be, they will be in the fourth level tier, meaning that their Medicare B premium is going to be $428.60 a month. And their Medicare D bump up is going to be $50.70 a month. So that's an additional $479 a month times 12. That's their, so their real Medicare costs aren't going to be $5,832. they are going to be 11503 Almost double. Ouch. Okay, um, And they can't, um, y- y- you know, they're stuck with that now. They can't appeal that. You, you know, capital gains and Roth conversions, you can't appeal and say, well, to, to Medicare and say, I, I, you can't use that return because I did a big Roth conversion that year. I don't plan on doing a Roth conversion now. No, that's, you know, certain things you can appeal like life changing events. You know, you, you, uh, you the, the most common one is you know, two years ago you were working and in the current year you're not, you know, and obviously you can prove that and say you can't use that, that that's fine, but capital gains and Roth conversions aren't appealable for the Irma threshold. Um, All right. So they, uh, so they, so they came in to see us and you know, this is what we're learning. And I said, okay, well, Let's let's do this. First of all, I said, well, you know, part of the issue is let's talk about your previous year save versus the current year save And they had not heard of that before. They said, well, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. And I said, okay, well, so, well, I mean, that's what they, when they listen to the show, that's the first time they kind of heard that type of talk. So I spent more time with them in the consultation, and then they became a client, and we really got to work. Um, And I said, well, one of the things is, you know, we want to start coordinating your advisors, okay? Um, And that means let's, you know, anything that... You know, you, you need the peace of mind. You need to get that coordinated effort so all your advisors are on the same page. See, it's it's not bad to have different advisors. You know, you in, in the world of financial planning, you could have the attorney, you could have your tax preparer, you could have your investment advisors, you could have your insurance agents. You know, that's fine. It, but it's, it's it, as long as they're talking to one another if each one is working in their own vacuum, I don't know if you're getting the best plan. And that's kind of the case here. Um, so the first thing we did was say, well, let's work with your CPA and let's work on a current year pro forma because you know I don't know if you're gonna have the same circumstances as the previous year. Now, a couple of things we know, like for example, in this current year, they have to add in their required minimum distributions. But I also noticed that you know, last year, although their pre- tax preparer had prepared a Schedule A to show what deductions are, you know, on Schedule A, itemized deductions, they weren't enough to get over the standard deduction, okay, um, which was, you know, like $27,000 for them. And so when I was looking at it, but I noticed that they, they had about, you know, I think it was around $14,000 in charitable contributions, But that still wasn't enough. It was substantial, but it wasn't enough to get them over the standard deduction. And they said, "Yeah, they kind of tithe," and they said that was kind of you know that was a very similar amount. And so the point is, they're doing this great charitable work, and they're not getting any tax benefit for it. And so I said, "Well, are you aware of the um, you know QCD, you know the qualified charitable distribution?" And they said, well, they had kind of heard something about that, but they kind of said, well, I don't think our, you know, IRA investment advisor, I don't think he does that. And that's why I'm like, well, what do you mean he doesn't do that? They said, well, he's never talked to us about that. I said, well, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, his firm doesn't provide it if you want it. They're like, Really? And and so I said, well, you know, so now it's like, well, maybe we need to have a telephone conversation. And we did. We set up a three-way telephone conference call. And again, yeah, the investment advisor said, oh, sure, we could do a QCD. Or we have a lot of clients doing it. And like now my clients are saying, well, why didn't anyone tell me this before? Um, Because now that they have an R&D and they they still want to do their charitable planning, and they want to get some tax benefit for it, they could do the QC. That's where you direct part of your IRA, or your, in other words, in this case, part of your required minimum distribution. His required minimum distribution was going to be 27,000. Hers was going to be about 6,000. Okay, you can tell your IRA custodian, hey, don't send the required minimum distribution to me. Send it directly to the charity that I'm telling you to send it to. And that's a qualified charitable distribution. And the benefit of that is, that washes out. You don't have to report that as taxable income on your tax return. It lowers your adjusted gross income, which lowers your threshold, you know, that keeps you in those thresholds you don't want to go through. Also, it gives you a little bit of Ohio tax benefit because normally Ohio, as you know, doesn't give you charitable deductions, but Ohio begins a start with your federal adjusted gross income. So if you buy your QCD are lowering your federal adjusted gross income, in essence, you're lowering your Ohio tax liability. So you're getting a backdoor benefit from Ohio as well. So they looked at that and they said, "Okay, well, they wanted to keep that same level. So they, you know, and of his twenty seven thousand dollar required minimum, he was going to do a ten thousand dollar QCD, and hers was six thousand. They just decided to do that all to QCD. So a total of sixteen thousand QCD. Now that still leaves them." Um, so she's so she's completed her required minimum when that gets done. He still has seventeen thousand dollars to go, okay, but now you can see we can start building this re- you know now that we know this is going to happen, we can start shoring up our current year tax pro forma, right okay um, and then I said, well, also you know I'm not sure you're going to have the same level of capital gains from your non-qualified investments that you did last year. I said, by the way, do you know what your year-to-date realized gains or losses are? And that's where I got dead silence and they're like, "Well, I don't know. Should we know? How do we find out?" I said, "Well, you know, it may be on your you know, monthly statement and they're like I don't think it is. And I said, "Okay, well, if it's not, if it's not being reported and I look at a lot of um, you know, custodial non-qualified investment statements and I would say it's about 50-50. About 50%, about 50% of the ones I see do report a year-to-date realized gain loss and about 50% of them don't. But the idea is if they don't Okay, pick up the phone and call your investment advisor and say, hey, here, throw me a bone. Can you run me a year-to-date realized gain-loss report? And guess what? They will. They can do that. Okay? Um, Or they may tell you, well, Mr. Smith... You can do that yourself. Just go to, the, you go to the website, you know, log in and go to that tab that says realized gain loss report, you know, and, and they, they walk them through how to get this report online. Or the investment advisor says, wait a minute, I'll run it and, and tell you. All right. Um, now, the coordinated advisors, right? You know, again, I can't stress that enough. You know, if you don't know what questions to be asking your other advisors, we do. Right um, and sure enough, when the investment advisor ran it they uh, they didn't have uh, capital gains. they actually had a, a slight loss year to date. not surprising with the market downturn, right um, but the advisor said, well, you know what we there could be some year end gains, you know those mutual funds. Kick out their year-end distributions in you know November, December, and we don't expect them to be as high. This is what the investment advisor is telling the client. We don't expect them to be as high, but there could be something there. So again, to be cons- to, to our uh, our pr- parameters for assumptions, be conservative and realistic. Um, they decided to assume a five thousand dollar gain, but you know what? That's a lot less than the previous year's gain, which was ninety two thousand. It's a big tax difference. All right? Um, so so now we can go in and say, okay, let's look at the um, let's look at the pro forma. and we talked to an investment advisor. He said, just assume that interest and dividends are going to be about the same uh we now know what their required minimum distributions are we know how much where they're going to put to qualified charitable distributions so we can figure out that and we and so now we can come down to a tax pro forma that was certainly um you know and 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 so we we're, we now go with this data we go you know to their CPA and we say okay can you now run a updated pro forma and kind of see where we're at. Okay. And when he did that and he got us the data, he said, Yeah, you, you, not only can you go switch over to a current year safe harbor, because again, that's that, that's a confirmation. The client hears it from us, they also want to hear it from their CPA. We all want to be on the same page. So their CPA confirmed, Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You you don't have to use the previous year safe harbor. You can use a current year safe harbor and and no, you don't have to tell the government which one you're using. As long as you meet one of them, you're covered. And even if you owe money on April 15th, you won't be charged any underestimated interest penalty. So they went ahead and did that. And so with the with the new updated pro forma, okay, the the CPA said, actually, Mr. And Mrs. Smith You don't need to make the third quarter estimate or even the fourth quarter estimate. I think based on our numbers now, you've already got the current year safe harbor covered with the um, with the estimated payments that you made for the first two quarters. And there was some a little bit of withholding going on 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 some of the um, some of the other uh, fixed income. All right. So I'll have to carry this on to next week. But so that was a big sigh of relief because they were dreading the fact that they would have they would have had to sell investments in a down market to come up with the cash to pay that third and possibly the fourth quarter estimate. Now they know they don't have to do that, but they were thought they were done. I said, no, we got more year end planning to do. And I'll pick up that next week. Okay, have a good week, everyone.